Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the Gospel of the Day. I am James Thomas. Today is Thursday, November the 16th, 2023. It is the 32nd Thursday in Ordinary Time, one week till Thanksgiving. And it's also the optional feast of St. Gertrude as well as St. Margaret of Scotland. Today's reading is from the Gospel according to St. Luke. Asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus said in reply, The coming of the kingdom of God cannot be observed, and no one will announce, Look, here it is, or there it is. For behold, the kingdom of God is among you. Then he said to his disciples, The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. There will be those who will say to you, Look, there he is, or look, here he is. Do not go off, do not run in pursuit. For just as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer greatly and be rejected by this generation. Okay, guess what? (laughs) We are getting to the end of ordinary time and Advent. It's all happening right now. It's coming. Advent is coming soon. I love to say that Advent is coming, because literally the word means coming. But in addition to that, at the end of Ordinary Time, we start to enter into some apocalyptic literature. There's the big apocalypse, the book of Revelation, but there's also the mini apocalypse that we see in some of these gospels, where Jesus just starts to talk about the future. So I would say, in a very general sense, although there's so much to get from every gospel reading, my initial reading of this passage says there's three topics here. One is the kingdom of God. Let's just talk about the kingdom real quick. <laughs> real quick, as if like we're going to sum it all up in a, in a minute. And you know me, if you're listening to me, I talk a long time, but the little bit that I say is nothing compared to the, the reality that Jesus comes to reveal to us. The kingdom of God cannot be observed. They keep talking about this kingdom that's going to come because they want Jesus or whoever the Messiah is going to be. They want him to be a political Messiah. They want him to conquer the Romans. They want it to be very clear. They want to go back to the days of King David and King Solomon. Now, if anybody's read the Old Testament, we know how those days end in total corruption and failure and being conquered. But they did have a little glory here on earth, and they're thinking Jesus has come, or whoever the Messiah is will come, to reestablish all that. And Jesus is trying to tell them the kingdom of God is not something external, It's not something that you can say, oh, look, here it is, or there it is. I almost think our Lord is very funny. I don't just almost think it. Our Lord uses a lot of humor in what he says. We have to read into it a little bit and try to understand the language of the time, perhaps. But imagine, you know, they're talking about this big, huge thing. And Jesus says, you're not going to be able to say, oh, look, there it is. And then he points the other direction or there, look, there it is. But no, now he gets serious again. The kingdom of God is inside you. It is within you. They're going to experience the fullness of the kingdom on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fills them. And now there's a new conquering that will happen. It's not about conquering a a building, conquering a town, conquering a city, conquering a country. 
It's going to be about conquering your heart. But even there, it's not about you conquering your heart. It's about God entering in and conquering your heart and filling you with love. And then you're able to do amazing things that you could never do by your own power. This is the kingdom. It culminates in heaven. It begins in this world. The second thing is, then Jesus says, there will be days. And he's talking about the end of the world. I think he's talking about the end of the world. Some people do speak of a second coming of Jesus that's not yet the end of the world. Um, I am under the impression from all my theological training that these things go together. Uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux at the beginning of Advent gives us a reading in the Liturgy of the Hours about how there's three comings of Christ. One at the beginning, well, when Jesus came in Bethlehem. One at the end, the end of the world. And the third one, I believe St. Bernard, he talks about a second coming in between the first and the third. I believe he's talking about just Jesus coming to us every single day of our lives, coming to us over and over again, coming to us in the sacraments, coming to us in the word, coming to us in the church and in the people that we love. Um, And Advent is meant to prepare for that in addition to preparing for the end, in addition to preparing for Christmas. I mean, these things all go together. Uh, But there are some people that interpret that to mean like, no, there will be a definitive second coming of Christ before the end of the world. Anyway, we'll let them think that for now. Um, But Jesus says, when I return, and he says this in a couple different places in a couple different ways, it will not be an issue of, once again, look, he's there, or look, he's here, (laughs) but rather as lightning flashes across the sky, so will the son of man be. He will come on the clouds. He will come in glory. We will not be able to doubt when he comes again. So that's the other issue. And then the third issue of this reading, the third thing is that first he must suffer greatly and be rejected. In order to pay for the glory, in order to earn the glory for us, to merit that glory, as Jesus does, he has to die on the cross for us. He has to pay the price for our sins. He has to endure what our sins, the punishment that our sins have brought upon us and upon the world. He has to endure it. I want to talk about, well, you know, big topic that I hear a lot of right now is, you know, the world's going through crazy times. We do a lot, though, but yeah, I think it's worse now when you consider how many babies we've murdered, when you consider the the 20th century and all the wars, and now it looks like more wars are shaping up and just the state of our country right now and how it's worse than it's ever been morally and otherwise. Yeah. You know, this can only last so long unless we, there's some divine intervention that turns us around. I mean, we're headed for worse and worse and worse times and the church is all wrapped up in this. Now I gave a sermon the other day talking about how the, The society is a function of the church, meaning if the church is not holy, society will not be holy. And the church is a function of its worship. If your worship is garbage, then the church is not going to be very holy. And I think we're going through a very difficult time right now regarding our worship, regarding the state of the church. And I've heard people talk recently about the church has to go through the same path that its Savior went through, which means... The church has to go through the passion. So right now the church is suffering. Right now there's lots of confusion. Right now there's everybody's their own pope right now. Everybody thinks they know this and they know that. Nobody's willing to listen to anybody else. Everybody's just spouting off their own opinions. And there's less and less and less unity 
in actuality and in truth, in, in physical reality, but also in the preaching of the truth, the understanding of the truth. We're scattered, we're all over, and we lose members constantly. It's true, there's a new evangelization and there's a lot of beautiful things happening, but those are in seed form now. They're small. They, I mean, the Lord always renews things. And I believe Pope John Paul brought in for us, he inaugurated the new evangelization. He planted a lot of seeds and those seeds are, they're, they're still being planted. In some cases, the, the plant is starting to grow. The seed is starting to germinate. So there is a glory that the church will achieve at the end of time. And there is a suffering that we're going through right now. Perhaps we're going to see glory in our lifetime. We can say that because Mary promised in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. And she spoke of this right after speaking about Russia and the 20th century and a pope that would oppose them and, and be killed for it, etc. Uh, pope John Paul, a lot of people believe, is the fulfillment of that prophecy, except that she saved him on May 13th, 1981, her own feast day when he was shot. Other people feel that that still hasn't been fulfilled. Once again, differences of opinion. So we are living in a time where perhaps we're seeing a passion, death, and resurrection of the church. And who knows, maybe in our lifetime, we will see a resurrection of the church and a return to glory. I'll tell you, we've seen it already in so many cases. You know, the most obvious case is the early church. They went through a passion. Jesus revealed so much glory at the end of his life on earth. His, his resurrection from the dead and all the miracles associated with that, appearing to 500 people after he rose, and then his ascension into heaven, and then his sending of the Spirit and the apostles just overflowing with the Spirit and with miracles. And during those first couple hundred years, the church experienced great glory and great suffering at the same time. Christians were martyred left and right throughout the Roman Empire, and yet... They eventually won over the Roman Empire. It wasn't they because they were all dying. It wasn't their power. It was God overpowering the Roman Empire. But I want to get a little bit even more specific in my focus here today. While I've made the point about the suffering and the glory, and sometimes they're hand in hand. Like I said, in the early church, there was horrible suffering, but there was great glory in terms of all the miracles that they were performing, all the healings. But another great miracle that the early Christians show us is a miracle that can apply to you and I right now. It's a glory that you and I can experience right now. And that is, and there's a great scene, it's a fictional book, but it tells the story from history, Quo Vadis, where St. Peter preaches to the first group of martyrs in Rome. And initially they're so sad, they're wailing, they're crying, they can't believe this is happening to them, that they're about to be put to death, thrown to the lions. Some of them are going to be hung. Some of them are going to be burned at the stake. And St. Peter preaches to them a message of hope and a message of salvation. Eventually, he's going to be crucified upside down, but still he tries to escape. There's this whole little drama that goes on with St. Peter that's true to history. But the people in the early church, after being filled with hope from the sermon of St. Peter, they went to their death singing songs, smiling, joyful. And that led the next group to do the same and the next and the next and the next over a couple hundred years where these people didn't even feel the pain. They didn't even notice that a lion had just bitten half of their body off. 
they were singing, they were joyful, they died, they went to heaven. It was peaceful, it was beautiful. The people watching initially responded with a bloodlust, with a fury. Why aren't these people suffering the way they're supposed to as they die? And a lot of those same people then said, wow, I have everything and I'm miserable. These people are being mauled to death and hung on crosses and burned to death and they're smiling and they're happy. What do they have that I don't have? And so, so many of them converted. And this is why the church wasn't conquered as all the other little religions that the Romans used to love to just snuff out were. No, the church continued to grow and grow and grow until it overtook the empire. And Jesus just kept performing miracles through his people. So one thing, you know, you and I might not be mauled to death or or chewed up by lions or burned at the stake. Who knows? Some of us might be called to that. Who knows? But we are called to the glory that is within. Jesus says the kingdom is within you. And what he means is my father and I and our spirit the three of us are going to make our home in, in you, in your soul, and you will overflow with the gifts and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. You will have a wisdom that didn't come from this world. You will have courage like the early apostles. You will have a respect for God and a respect for others. You will have words of counsel. You will have peace and love and joy. One that I think of when we talk about uh, peace and love and joy being the three primary fruits of the Spirit, St. Francis de Sales used to talk all the time about what is, how do you know someone's holy? This is 500 years ago. And his writings were really great. They were revolutionary at the time. And I believe a lot of his writings uh, were inspirational in the Vatican II document, Lumen Gentium, about, well, it's about the church, but it's, it talks about the holiness of lay people. And how everyone is called to holiness, just all in different ways, according to one's vocation. And St. Francis de Sales, in talking about the holiness of each person, he said, holiness, you don't find out that you're holy. You don't uh, give signs of holiness because you found a big ministry or because you are working with the Pope or whatever, whatever big, huge thing, because you go as a missionary to a foreign country and you convert a thousand people. Holiness, he says, comes from practicing the little virtues. And what are the little virtues? That's what he called them. But St. Paul calls them the fruits of the Spirit. Allowing the fruits of the Spirit to grow within us. Notice the words, fruits of the Spirit. They don't come from us. They come from God living within us. Our prayer life are allowing the Spirit to live within us. The fruits of the Spirit being love and joy and peace. Patience and gentleness and self-control, meekness, generosity. These are the little little virtues. In other words, when someone is nasty to you, I think of road rage. Why does that come to my mind? Hmm, I wonder what that has to do with me. (laughs) When we can respond to someone trying to run us off the road with an appropriate response. I mean, sometimes, yeah, you might have to honk your horn, say something, etc., but to not allow anger to conquer, to not allow hatred and vengeance to conquer. How often do we say, oh, I'm going to go show this guy, I'm going to go after that person or, or whatever, I'm going to give this person finger gestures or whatever. Rather, to respond with control of our hearts, 
It's true. In a case like that, maybe you need to call the police. Maybe somebody's putting others in danger. I don't know. But we, regardless of what we do, we do it with peace in our hearts. When someone is nasty to you, maybe even consistently, does the Holy Spirit reign? Does the kingdom of God reign sufficiently in your heart? I'm not saying make yourself a doormat, but to be able to say to that person, are you okay? Why, why did you say that like that? I forgive you, but are you, you know, why, why are you being so nasty? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about our differences. Let's have an intelligent conversation where we exchange our ideas and we don't allow anger to conquer us. I don't know, whatever it is, when you stub your toe, when the computer doesn't work, as what it happens to me all the time, when the car doesn't work, there are so many things. The kingdom of God lives within you. And the kingdom of God, how do we know that a person is close to God and the kingdom lives within them? That they're not overcome by their emotions. Emotions are good, but with God's grace, we get them under control. With God's grace, we live our vocation. How often have we scarred our children by losing it in front of them, by losing it at them, verbally and even more so at times physically? Versus responding in patience and kindness. Yeah, it's still having an appropriate response. Maybe there needs to be a punishment. Maybe there needs to be a talk. But this is how we know the kingdom of God reigns within us. This is the glory. We are called to experience glory. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be so much suffering in this world. Jesus endured it all for us. And part of that enduring for him was to bond with us in our sufferings that we haven't even felt yet. It's true. He took on our sins. He also took on our pains. And that also is helpful to, to remember, to understand, you know, God can conquer all these things. God can reign in me and through me. So, yes, the suffering will always be there, but so will the glory. And glory can mean great things. It can mean miraculous healings. It can mean miraculous conversions. It can mean, you know, visiting relics of saints and churches where just stories are told of amazing things that happened there. I mean, there's so much glory for us to see on the outside. But the true glory of the church is true holiness. And that is from the spirit living within you, Jesus living within you. And you and I being able to exercise self-control. And you and I being men and women of love, of joy, of peace. So that no matter what happens to us, we're experiencing heaven already here on this earth. And we can extend that life of heaven to our brothers and sisters around us. Hope everybody has a great day. God bless.